0: This is Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, the Channelnomics podcast that connects you with channel chiefs, thought leaders, and executives about what it takes to get the next generation of tech to market. Here's your host, Larry Walsh, the CEO and chief analyst of Channelnomics.
1: Hey, thanks everyone for coming back again into checking out Changing Channels. And as I said, I'm Larry Walsh, your host. And, you know, I it feels like I've spent a lifetime uh, studying the channel. I know that if 2020 counts, then that is two lifetimes. Uh, Coming into this year, we had some good news. And that good news is according to our research, you may recall we've talked about this in one of our previous episodes, is that the majority of channel professionals and channel chiefs see a lot of growth opportunity in 2021. Uh, If you look at the data year over year, you wouldn't even know that there was all the economic disruption caused by the pandemic last year. Uh, somewhere north of 70% of channel professionals expect to grow, their indirect sales to grow by at least 5% or more in the, in the coming 12 months. It's pretty good news considering that there's still large parts of the economy in the US and Canada and Europe that are still hugely disrupted by the pandemic conditions. But here's the thing, is that even with this level of optimism, 5% growth or better, which even by the most conservative estimates of the market watchers is about 2X what the technology segment will grow. Even with this optimistic outlook, a lot of channel professionals are under pressure to demonstrate the value of their organizations, of their partnerships, of their partners in the field, to their management. And we hear this all the time. You know, there's an in military, Uh, In the military um, community, they always say you don't want to fight a two-front war. But channel chiefs are often finding themselves in that exact position. They have to constantly sell their value and their value propositions to their partners that are out there interfacing with the market and the customers. And they're also forced to sell their value propositions and their worth to their own management and stakeholders. And this is one of the things that we hear constantly is that there, you know, if you're gonna have a good channel program, you have to have top-down support. But in our research, what we, and we asked this for the first time in our Channel Chief Outlook report, um, you know, what's the level of pressure you're under to demonstrate value? And 22% of Channel Chiefs said they're under high pressure to demonstrate value to their own management. You know, so we thought it'd be a good idea to actually tackle this topic with somebody who has a lot of experience in demonstrating value to management and uh, getting that top-down support. Our old friend Frank Rausch, who is the global channel chief at Checkpoint, one of the you know the the original one of the original and and biggest tech, uh, security tech, uh, technology vendors in the market. Hey, Frank, thanks for joining us on Changing Channels.
2: Hey, Larry, it's great to be here. Thank you for
1: having me. No, you know, looks, I couldn't think of, of anyone better to have this conversation with. Um, you know, I, I want to just start by letting people know a little bit about you, though.
2: Mm.
1: You've been a checkpoint now for a little more than a year, haven't you? Or is this it's been two years, believe it or not. Has it been that but long? January, January 10, two-year anniversary. Jeez, wow, well, time does fly. You know, it again, does. you know, 2020 counts as five. So we could say it's six years. You can get a gold watch now, right? Mm. So what is, you know, first, how does the market look to you? You know, because as we said, mm-hmm. you and a lot of your peers are showing a lot of optimism looking forward. Do you share that optimism?
2: Yeah, we do we do, Larry. And really the optimism is fact-based. It's not really hope-based. So when you look at so when you look at the optimism, many, many things have changed over the last year. And that may be the understatement of understatements, but You know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the trends, a lot of the dynamics played very well to what we do. And it's not just what we do, it's what others do. But when you you look at it, people wanted to be able to get out of data centers. They wanted to be able to migrate to the cloud. Obviously security was top of mind. People took advantage, unfortunately, taking advantage of a pandemic, really heightened this security. I mean, there's been well-known attacks there've been so, so many smaller attacks. You don't have to just look at Sunburst, you don't have to look at some of the companies that affected, just the little day by day things. Then all of a sudden, everybody moved out of offices, not only in the US, really around the world. And if you think work from home is complicated for us, when you get into some of the other countries, it becomes really, really complicated. So, you know, when you when you put all of that together, yeah, there was opportunity for us. But you know what? There was opportunity to be able to help too. And it's something I don't wanna, I don't wanna I don't wanna diverge here, but really, you know, when you when you look at it, it was kind of working for the greater good. It really was. Because in addition to the examples, I mean literally the largest transport company in the world needed equipment overnight. To be able to, have, to be able to keep it to be able to keep the planes, the trucks you know going. People had to transfer their workforce from building automobiles to ventilators. Yeah so it, so it was a little bit of everything. it was a little bit of everything, but it's, um, it was a catalyst for growth. And then when you look forward, which I think is your point, is you know a lot of this stuff is going to continue. I mean, the world has changed and it's probably changed forever. I'm not an expert on world change, but I do know we're looking at productivity. We're looking at what people want to do, how they want to work. They're going to continue to work from home. It's going to be very difficult to repatriate some of the workloads that end up on the cloud during the pandemic. So people will probably continue in that direction. So I think it's gonna be a good environment. It's gonna be a good environment for us. It's gonna be a good environment for everybody.
1: But more importantly, the world's coming out of this. We see the light at the end of the tunnel and we're excited about it. Yeah, and I would imagine, you know, given that you are a channel chief, your role is to get take your company's products to market with and through partners, that you see that the partners are instrumental and in facilitating that growth and those better outcomes for the for the end customer. Sure. Yeah,
2: yeah, we absolutely do. Because if you you know, if you just look at some of the things that I pointed out, there's a couple of trends. One, you're gonna need you're gonna need feet on the ground. You're gonna need people to be able to do the work. You're gonna need people to do the work not only in offices, but either via Zoom or to be able to go to remote locations. You're gonna you're gonna also need bridge builders. And there is nobody better in the world than a channel at building bridges. And whether that bridge is between Checkpoint and Microsoft, Checkpoint and AWS, you know, those the bridges need to be built. So it's a great opportunity for the channel, no doubt.
1: Yeah. So Frank, you've been around, you know, I'm not gonna you know, I'm not going to paint any age on you, but you've been around old for a jo- while. No old jokes. I'm not going. There is no old jokes involved here. But you know, you you started off selling calculators to the channel, which is a you know, honorable <laughs> profession. Uh, that, was, that is not true. But let's let's just keep rolling with it. <laughs> well, look, you know, you've you've worked at a number of very high profile companies. You've you've mm-hmm. run channels in, in some some of the more marquee brands. In addition to Checkpoint, you were at VMware for several years, you were at HP for several years. Have you seen this though, when you describe what, you, you know, the need for, for boots on the ground, the feet on the street, that partners provide, that, that bring the different vendors together, that connects with the customers, to give the customers the technology they need. Do you, have you seen this phenomenon where management still looks at the channel and says, why are we doing this? Why are we paying for that? What's the value here? Sure. Yeah. um,
2: Yes. So it's it's that the question really becomes why. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's different. I mean, when I look at, you know, I've worked for, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 CEOs, and they are all very, very different. And they all have a very different understanding, level of understanding of the channel. And you have to understand how these people grew up. I mean, they grew up with measures like cash flow. They grew up with measures of, you know, IRR or whatever, what, you know, whatever that measure would be, and all that was just really black and white. I mean, you know, it's, you know, you would you would listen to CFOs if CFO I would tell you basically the metrics would be a sin, the same and metrics would be extremely predictable. I think with the channel, there's a little bit more mystery and there's a little bit less understanding and what i mean by that is you know when you you know they want to know when they put a dollar in what they're go- what dollar they're going to get out of it and a lot of the metrics can be solidified they can be quantified but they're not as concrete as an internal balance sheet or an internal income statement or an intel uh, report of cash flow you know it's just going to be a little bit different so i think the channel chiefs job is to be able to set the table, and you know I know we're going to talk about how you justify how you justify value, how you justify the value of the channel. But realistically, when you start defending that value, you've already lost. It happens way before then.
1: But okay, let's before we move on to that, I, I want to talk about what you just described here because I think it's it's really interesting because what you're to summarize what you just said. It comes down to the word uncertainty is that the management, whether it's a CEO or a CFO or a COO, it's what you're describing is, is they want transparency and certainty in what's happening uh, in the field as it reflects on the value of the business and what they have yeah. to rationalize. Right. But they don't have that level of, of certainty when they're dealing directly with customers. So why do they have a different expectation when they're dealing with the channel?
2: Because it's really a different relationship. So when you think about when you think about the CEO customer relationship, basically the CEO needs the customer to buy. When you think about the CEO employee relationship, the CEO needs the employee to work. Question because the question in the CEO's mind is: what exactly is the role of the channel? How are they going to benefit? my larger agenda. But more importantly, how are they going to benefit it in a way that becomes predictable to me? And more more importantly than predictable is really the word of creative. And you need to be able to set that table,
1: as I said before. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that because you've had a lot of success in doing this is building consensus and agreement on the value of, of the channel and partners and their role that they play in taking products to market. what is, you know what's Frank's formula for doing this? How do you get your executives to buy in on this and and not just buy in on it but actually give you know authentic support, not just not just lip service
2: Yeah so it, so it's different. Um, you know a lot of the people that i worked for in the past. And, you know, you start out with somebody like Michael Capellas, you go to Carly Fiorina, you go to Mark Curb, rest in peace, a Leo Apocater, uh, Meg Whitman, Paul Moritz, uh, Pat Gelsinger, who's been a little bit in the news lately, and Gil Schwett. So, you know, you're talking about a myriad of different personalities and a myriad of different backgrounds. So, the, you know, the first thing is really getting the alignment. With the CEO, and it never happens that easy. By the way, because you're 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 gonna have to you're gonna have to fight your way in the door, or you know you're gonna have to get invited to that party before you can have a voice at the table. So therefore, it's normally going through the CRO. It's normally getting the trust to the CFO, maybe the COO, before you even get to it. So you have to play right across the C-suite. Once you do that, you need to be able to educate them and respectfully because these people are, may be one level above you, it may be four levels above you or five levels above you, depending on how the company is organized. So you're not gonna go in there and say, hey, you know what? I'm the channel guy, I'm the channel expert. Let me show you how it's done. That's the easiest way to get kicked out of the boardroom. You won't even, you won't even get another word in it. But one of the ways you can educate them is to be able to take them out on the field. And this used to be one of the favorite things that Mark Hurd and I used to do together. And we did it literally every week or every other week. We would have partner roundtables in whatever city Mark Mark was in. And it was a phenomenal experience because he got to know not only the role of the partner CEO, but the interest What motivates the partner CEO, and actually who they were, who they are, because there's a big difference between showing a PowerPoint slide and sitting
1: your CEO across from somebody that really matters in the channel. Yeah, how effective? And again, you know, Mark, who passed a couple of years ago, um, he was he got a lot of credit for doing some great things at HP. He also Mm -hmm. did some great things at Oracle. He was always known though. As being a data wonk, I mean, he really liked to interrogate the numbers, yeah. uh, and he's not alone. I mean, there's a lot of people who sit in in that seat that do. I right?
2: work for I work for one of them
1: right now. Yeah. So, how, what is it? You know what what makes the connection between the data and the people? Because you're, what you're yeah. describing here is a very, it, it sounds you know very subjective. I mean, it, it's. It's not the type of thing that data guys really key in on is having that that up close and personal experience.
2: Yeah. So so yeah, it's uh, yeah it's the story it's the story of the, the channel chief. It really is. So when you, so when you look at that data, you need to be able to normalize the data, and you need to be able to add credibility to the data. And what I mean what I mean by that is the worst thing that anybody could ever do as a channel chief is to be able to go in with their own scorecard. If you go in with your own scorecard, it's almost endgame at that point. What you need to be able to do is you need to be able to build that scorecard with the executive staff of the company you work for. And then you need to be able to test it externally with channel partners because basically Mark's interest were very different to Carly's interest, were very different to Meg's interest, were very different to Bats' interest. So you need to be able to align the vernacular, you need to be able to align the metrics, you need to be able to align the KPIs so they're meaningful on both sides. And you can't let the floor move out from under you when you do it. You need to be able to stay consistent. Once you do that, you have a chance.
1: Yeah. You know, something you said, though, and I'm curious about this, is that you're not just going to walk in and and say, hey, I'm I'm the, the pro from Dover. I'm here to, to make everything work. Mm-hmm. You have to earn that time in the room and get an invitation to come in. Your chief revenue officer, your head of sales, though, has a seat at the table. Not only is there a seat there, but there's also a nameplate for him or her. So what's the difference? Because if you look at, particularly at companies like Checkpoint, you do all your business through partners. Uh, You look at other marquee brands out there. Microsoft is famous for saying 95% or more of their revenue goes through partners and the list goes on. Um, Why is it that there's such reverence to the CRO, but the channel chief has to fight their way in the door?
2: Well, normally. Normally, and there is, there is no normal, but nor, nor, normally the channel chief does not report to the CEO. I mean, unless you're in a, you're in a very small or very unusual company. And yeah. so normally, normally that door is through the CRO. And the CRO is naturally the advocate, most of the time of the channel chief, because in the world of the CRO, they're like, I don't have enough marketing dollars. I don't have enough people. I don't have enough customers. I don't have enough reach. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to be able to. There's no way I'm going to be able to make my number. So you know, basically, you know, that's task number one. And you're bringing up a really good point. So task number one is: can you get on the same level and be in the? I don't want to use the word caste system, but the leveling system where you are an equal of the people that are running the geos If you're a worldwide channel chief. That gives you tremendous credibility and a big voice with the CRO. The CRO then becomes your advocate to be able to get to the CEO. But in all cases, that might not be enough because there's some of the companies that you mentioned that I used to work for, where you have a very powerful COO, where you have a very powerful CFO. And a road to the ear of the CEO oftentimes goes through the CFL. It's complicated. It's not all the same, but you need to be able to work at it and you need a plan
1: to be able to get there. Yeah, you. something you and I violently agree on is not coming in with your own scorecard. Yeah. And and look, I've given this advice to channel chiefs is, first thing is that if you're going to embark on, uh, put together a plan, make mm-hmm. sure that you create, you get your metrics agreed upon up front, so that everybody's on the same page. And Frank, I'm sure you've seen it, I've seen it many times. You go in after the fact, after there's been, a re- after reporting with a set of metrics that actually are more based around activity than they are about results. Mm-hmm. So thinking about that and you know, coming back to earning your way into the, into the room, if KPIs, if the key performance indicators are keys, what are the keys to unlock that door? What are the things that you recommend others use into as a starting conversation? These are the KPIs we should be looking at.
2: Yeah. So um, yeah, I'll give I'll give you I'll give you an example where I'll give you a, two examples where where we, kind of where I used to live and where I live now. So you, know, when you look at the VMware agenda, yeah, you know, the VMware agenda, and you know Pat did a. Phenomenal, phenomenal job in terms of getting everybody's head wrapped around this agenda was, hey, we were we are great at vSphere. Now we need to be able to spin out four or five other businesses that are going to be substantial business. So that's that's kind of the VMware, that's kind of that. If you look at Gill, Gill is Gill is more, hey, we need to be able to expand our customer base. We need to be able to go for network security to cloud security, or to now what we're calling Harmony. The reason I bring this up is if you understand exactly what's important to them and you do a gap analysis and you understand what they're capable of doing internally and where those gaps really exist, then you match the gaps to their priorities. Then you match their priorities to your KPIs. Then you have a fighting chance. Let me tell you the opposite of what that looks like.
1: So this, gonna be, this is going to be you, good.
2: Oh, yeah. If you want to get launched, uh, I mean, literally, in front of the room, here's what you do. Just have a bad quarter. Everybody is just sour-faced at the boardroom table. They're looking for the next victim on the, on the agenda. And you come up and you say, hey, look at the channel. Look at how, look at It's all green. All the metrics are all green. We absolutely killed it. We killed it. I know you don't understand all these things, but you know, with with you know with with Deal Reg, with with the joint customer call, with joint planning sessions, joint meetings, et cetera. And they just had a bad quarter and there was no alignment to what you were driving and what they expected and where they missed, you will get the boot and you
1: will never get invited back. Yeah. You know, that's a really great point. You know, it's, it's, you know, and that's what I mean by activities. There's a lot of things that have to get done you know, in order to make channels work and work well, but they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily the things that are meaningful or earn that level of appreciation or respect, particularly, like you said, (laughs) you just had a bad quarter. I really don't care how many partners you trained. Did you, did they deliver any results? Right. Mm -hmm. So I am curious, from you know, in all this, so uh, we've talked about what you and your peers need to do in order to earn that, earn that buy-in, earn that respect, earn that support. Mm-hmm. What do the partners need to do? Do they play a role in this? Do they do they have to contribute? And what do you need them to do? Yeah,
2: I think, and um, there's so many great, so many great examples of this. I think you need to partner, you know, just like you need to be an active listener in a room with the CEO. The partner needs to be an active partner. Meaning, meaning that you know whether you're a child chief or whether you're a CEO of a partner, you don't want to be you don't want to be caught on your heels to be able to answer questions, etc. Therefore, the more forthcoming, the more transparent, the more proactive you are in terms of pushing information, celebrating wins together. Etc. That credibility increases dramatically. And there's so many there's so many great examples of people. Um, the best example that I, that, I, that I could think of is Jim Cavanaugh over at WWT. and I know that's an easy one because it gets a lot of press. Um, but he, there's a reason this guy's like number two on Glassdoor. There really is because he's figured it out and he's genuine enough and he's humble enough, to be able to you know, just really deliver the facts, deliver them in a positive way. If there is something wrong, to be able to represent it in a very objective way, not to play the blame game, not to play the victim, et cetera, and to be able to talk CEO to CEO. And like I said, when we win together, which was quite often, which is quite often, basically we celebrate together. And that is a very, very important part of being a
1: channel, being a channel CEO or partner CEO. Yeah. You know, we, you know, there's a presumption here and like you're fortunate that you have the support that you've earned from your management, Gil Schwed. I've known him for, for many years. He's a really good guy, right. really great guy, but he also expects results, uh, Yeah. <laughs> right? And I'm sure, you know, you've had that conversation with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I, I, I want to hear the, 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 the good and the bad here, Frank, is that what can you expect if you do this right? If like you're, you're talking to a new channel chief, somebody who's in the job for the mm-hmm. first time, and you tell them, you know, what can they expect if they do it right? And what can they expect? You know, what is the consequences for not having sure. this buy-in and support?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you uh, you know, let me take it second one second one first if I could. Yeah. So um, the uh, you know if you don't if you don't do it right, you're going to know it quickly. And, and but by, by the way, it's, it, even though you're going to know it know it quickly, it's not end given. It's not like you don't have the ability to course correct on this. And what I you know. You're 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 gonna have you're gonna have that learning period when you get into a new job, or when you're dealing with a new CEO, or even when you're dealing at the board level or whatever. You're gonna feel it. You're gonna feel each other out a little bit. You're gonna understand what the metrics are, etc. Just take advantage. Take advantage of that time. And again, the worst thing the worst thing you can do, other than bring in your own scorecard part, is say this is the way we used to do it at VMware or this is the way we used to do it at HP. Maybe that's step four or step five, but it's definitely not step one. Okay. second thing is you need, to, you need to be able to listen. You need to be able to observe. You need to be able to pick up the rhythm of the room. And I don't mean just when you're in the room that one time, the natural rhythm of the executive team. You need to be able to find a way to be able to fit into that. And you need to be able to, like I said on your scorecard, what happens? What happens when you do it right? Is basically, you're not challenged as much. You're invited into different meetings. You're invited in a different way into different meetings. Not to be able to just sit there and take notes and observe, but you're part of the agenda. You'll know it when it absolutely happens. Because again, at checkpoint it's been very fortunate for me to be able to have a great CEO like Gil and to be able to have a great boss like Dan, but also to be able to have a great board. You know, People like Jerry Ungerman, Guy Gag, um, just fantastic people that are not only willing to be an advocate for the channel, but also be a sounding board for me because if I wanna try something or I'm gonna test something with Gil, it's always good to be able to talk to those
1: guys and say, how do you think this is going to go? Frank, this is really good advice. I really appreciate you sharing this with us and everyone. Um, now we're going to change gears a little bit, and we're going to go to our final five.
2: I don't know what a final five is, Larry, but I'm scared.
1: <laughs> you should
2: be. Yeah, I think I should All
1: right, so everybody, just so everybody remembers this, our final five is just, few. Fun questions, get to know Frank a little bit better. Let's send him on his way with a smile on his face and maybe more importantly, smile on everybody else's face. And as always, Frank has not seen these questions. Um, so Frank, I, let's start with the first one. What we got for you here is, what's the most important, what is what is that one thing that most people get wrong about the channel?
2: It's got more than one in? Uh, no. <laughs> You know, that, you know, that the word off-balance workforce, off-balance you workforce,
1: they
2: don't work for you, they really don't, they can choose to work for you, but it's not, it's not about entitlement, it's not about your entitlement, it's not about their entitlement.
1: Right. Uh, Second one, Frank, is that, you like you're a lover of music? You love love sports. And in particular, I've seen more photos of you on golf courses than Tiger Woods. So if hmm. you've had to choose one, which would you go to, a concert or a golf course?
2: I would go go to a concert. And I think, you know, um, Prince, Tom Petty, have made me understand the difference between concerts and golf courses. Golf courses probably will last forever,
1: artists will not last forever. Take advantage of the artist while you can. You know, I couldn't agree more. I'm, you know, I am still in mourning that Neil Peart passed last year and I will never see a Rush concert again. Frank, really important question. Our third one is. You know, you talked about the importance of not having your own scorecard, getting you know buy-in. What is your go-to KPI?
2: What is my what is my go-to KPI? It's hard, Larry. I'm not sure I have one. I mean, I, I look at a, I, I look at a whole bunch of different things, but you try to measure partner contribution. Um, at checkpoint, we do that uh, by something called inbound deal Ridge. and what, whatever it is, whatever it is, that's kind of my north star to be able to understand exactly what the partners are contributing to the pipeline. But whatever it is, make sure it's indisputable. It really is. That there's a certain reverence with that KPI that everybody
1: agrees that if that KPI is working for you, we're going to make the numbers. Yeah, sage advice. Um, What is the most ridiculous thing you've ever bought? Most ridiculous thing I ever
2: bought. Well, you know that's that that covers a lot of ground. It really does. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say being ridiculous, crazy to be able to buy a bar when I never thought I would own a bar, and for that bar to be a rock and roll bar, and for that bar to be able to um, have live music, for 150 that's uh, days, days a year. And to be able to have that bar, that has a history of George, Thurgood, very good, Richie Sambora, Mary Chip Carpenter, etc. I never thought I'd do anything that crazy, but I'll tell you what, I did it with my son. My son actually runs the bar and it's the
1: best thing I ever did. So since you brought it up, Frank, go ahead, give it the shameless plug. What is it? Oh, so it is John Peters in New Hope, Pennsylvania
2: voted the best, best small town bar and one of the best
1: small towns in the country. So love to see you there. It's some great music and it's great fun. I will, I will say this for you, Frank, I've been to New Hope many times and I've been to your bar before you owned it. I have to say, but you know, I gotta say it is a great place to go hang out, especially in the summertime. Good. So we have one more. We have one more question. And so, so, you know, Young kid comes walking into your shop, says, I want your job one day. What do you say to them?
2: Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I, I don't think I would say it this way to a young kid, but I think it's really what it, what is the life of the challenge. Here. So everybody, everybody thinks it's a lot greener than it is from the, from, the, from the outside. And the question becomes, and the advice that I would give somebody is, First of all, it's not always going to be a straight line. It's going to be a jagged line, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to follow the ups and you're going to have to follow the downs. Second thing is once you, once you reach point, secure that point, because there's no guarantee you will slip below that point. And the third thing is, how bad do you want it? What sacrifices are you willing to make? are you willing to, are you willing to travel 220 230,000 air miles a year are you willing to give up all those nights are you willing to be able to t- make the sacrifices and not always have every day be a good day to be a challenge
1: it's sage advice frank sage advice i'm telling you like, you know it does it takes a lot to uh, to make the channel happen so oh, you know frank it's phone ring, means we got a customer we gotta go tend to.
2: That's Absolutely. all the time we
1: have. So Frank Frausch of Checkpoint, great having you on Changing Channels. Thanks for being with us. Oh, Larry, my pleasure. It was great. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, and thanks everyone for joining yet again. Please, please come back and visit us again sometime soon. And as always, hit subscribe and that like button. We'd love to hear your comments.
0: Thank you for joining Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, a production of Channel Nomics with the support of our production team at Modern Podcasting. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends. For more information about Channelnomics services and insights, follow us on Twitter and YouTube, and check out our website at channelnomics.com. Channelnomics is a registered trademark of, and Changing Channels is copyright by, 2112 Enterprises, LLC.